And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Stone's Throw and Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school, get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up. In darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is uh, the 20th of February, February, February. Been a rough week, rough week. Oh, boys and girls, yes. Okay, Stone's Throw. There's nothing to throw a stone at today. I, I really sank into uh, blue funk. Uh, this week, I think it was... The most recent uh, shooting. Now, it doesn't do any good. doesn't do any good to slip into a, a funk to get gloomy about these things. All I could think of was, who is it, do you suppose, who was it, do you suppose, that kicked that boy out of school? Who, who was it that expelled him? What vice principal or teacher was responsible I can't help it. My mind goes back to, oh, I guess the early 70s. I think one time a young boy in my class behaved very badly. And I had a long talk with him. And I said, you know, I know you're better than this. I know you have a capacity to be uh, humane and kind and not to uh, not to hit the girls and so forth. He had a problem with the young women and uh, he didn't say much and uh, finally he looked at me and he said don't kid yourself or words to that effect he said uh, uh, it's going to happen again it'll happen again uh, he said don't trust me hand me in call the principal call a cop cops did come to our school in those days and sure enough sure enough uh, I made a real mistake I I guess I forgive myself. What difference does it make? I, I should have. I should have done what he said. I should have uh, at least tried. Um, I. I don't know. In those days, it was just uh, nonsense to call a cop. Uh, like today, <laughs> the police aren't very much help. Boys and girls, never mind. Never mind. We do what we can. We do what we can. Today, I think we ought to cheer up. I'm going to cheer up. I I uh, read some Edna St. Vincent Millay last week, and I realized later that 
I was wringing my hands again, wringing my hands again. Uh, <laughs> you know, tomorrow we start a fundraising marathon for KPFA. Uh, same old, same old. I hope it's a success, boys and girls. Uh, I always have to stop and ask myself what it is we're doing here or what I'm doing here. I know what everyone else here is doing, but I, uh, I just, I guess, I guess I have to believe that what we say makes a difference, right? I, I have to believe it. Uh, 84 years has taught me nothing. Oh, here I find old Arthur O'Shaughnessy, a perfectly dreadful poet, uh, born in 1844. 1844. Golly. He understood it all. He, let's see, he was born later. Later than... Uh, Later than Emily Bronte, I'm looking here to see Emily's wonderful quote. Uh, what did Emily say about us? She said, uh, vain, vain are the thousand creeds that move men's hearts unutterably vain, worthless as withered weeds or idlest froth amid the boundless main. There you go. I think she had lost the faith. I'm just afraid so. Yes, I I think she knew. She knew, she knew, she knew what a mess it all was. Uh, anyway, here's Arthur Shaughnessy. I just, I just, I guess it's, it's like a pep talk I give myself. Uh, hmm, Arthur Shaughnessy died at age 37. Well, he was Irish. I guess that means he drank. He's known for a single famous poem. And even that one is never quoted in the form in which it was written. It was, yes, he called it, well, people called him the singer of the song. He was born in London, yes. He was employed at all the clerical capacities of the time. I identify with this guy. Aha, uh, uh -huh. he was employed by the British Museum, ended up in its zoological department, right, right. Go to the zoo. Uh-huh. That's what I'll do. O'Shaughnessy was, for a while, one of Dante Gabriel Rossetti's undistinguished disciples. You remember the pre-Raphaelites, they were called? Uh, they were also hopeless, helpless romantics. Uh, frail in health, he rarely left his native city, London. He had no experiences outside of books. He rarely left his native city and died of influenza in his 37th year, right? It's all the things that uh, make me identify with him. Uh, this note in an anthology says that most of his poetry is facile and, and the kind of verse which is easier to write than to read. As I always say, yes, when I became a critic, I wrote... If it's more work to read it than it was to write it, burn it. Uh, anyway, I have a list of comments about this fellow. I just think of Oscar Wilde when he said, you know, even the minor poet uh, has put his breast upon the thorn, da-da-da-da. The 19th century is all used up, I think. 
let's read a few lines from Arthur O'Shaughnessy's Ode. It tells me why I have to have courage and why I hope that the marathon uh, brings us a vote of thanks. Uh, It's called Ode. We are the music makers and we are the dreamers of dreams. Wandering by lone sea breakers and sitting by desolate streams. World losers and world forsakers on whom the pale moon gleams. Yet we are the movers and shakers of the world forever, it seems. With wonderful, deathless ditties we build up the world's great cities. Out of a fabulous story we fashion an empire's glory. One man with a dream at pleasure shall go forth and conquer a crown. And three with a new song's measure can trample an empire down. We, in the ages lying in the buried past of the earth, we built Nineveh with our sighing and Babel itself with our mirth. Or through them with prophesying to the old of the new world's worth. For each age is a dream that is dying, or one that is coming to birth. Let us hope that it uh, it was born in the works of uh, uh, Bob Dylan. Yes, Bob Dylan is the future. Hope, hope, hope. Uh, some people would say he was already the the past. Uh, I have a pile of those love poems that I saved for Valentine's Day, but uh, once again, the 19th century is all used up. And that sort of thing, that style, uh, uh, is out of fashion. I looked up style in uh, that book, The Elements of Style by E.B. White. I was thinking about whether or not we have a style now here in the 21st century. E.B. White's book, he says here, style takes its final shape more from attitudes of mind than from principles of composition. Style is the writer, and therefore what a man is, rather than what he knows, will at last determine his style. There we go. The poet, yes, Poet is the poem, and vice versa. I think we pretty much settled that now. Uh, the man, yes, the woman, you are, yes, you are the poem. Never mind, never mind. Uh, sad, sad, sad day. I think, yes, I think the secret is to jump jump over jump over Edna St. Vincent Millay. Uh, let me read you one of her lighthearted ones and then then let's read Dorothy Parker. Here's Edna Millay in her little book A Few Figs from Thistles. It was my first book. I was in high school when someone gave me this little book. There're two figs. Yes, from Thistles on the first page and the first fig is immortal. 
My candle burns at both ends, it will not last the night, but ah, my foes, and oh, my friends, it gives a lovely light. Here's the second fig. Safe upon the solid rock, the ugly houses stand. Come and see my shining palace, built upon the sand. Indeed, that is the 19th century, yes, to imagine that the uh, solid rock is, uh, what would we call it, uh, <laughs> the Protestant the Protestant nation, uh, uh, the ugly people, the uh, conservatives, yes, conservatives, doesn't apply anymore, does it? I don't think so, no. Uh, even the bad guys are unsteady and <laughs> off-center, yes. So never mind. So never mind. Uh, here is Dorothy Parker. Chirp, 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 I always say to myself. Uh, Dorothy Parker came to me when I was a little older, you know, once I had been disillusioned a few times. She wrote two-volume novel. The sun's gone dim and the moon's turned black because I loved him and he didn't love back. <laughs> that's my that's my absolutely most favorite Dorothy Parker. Uh, quip, quip. She didn't she she didn't call them poems, she called those quips. Uh, <laughs> I think I have to admit that. In all these years at KPFA, uh, I have not been very useful, at least not to feminism, which was, I think, my original goal, my uh, my cause. I had this feminist fist in the air back in 1982 when I began here at KPFA. Uh, indeed, I wrote for the local little papers, and uh, I went around... Uh, basically, basically uh, demystifying all of these uh, tragic sexist arguments. Uh, we used to say, yes, sexism goes so deep, it's hard to see. We think it's just reality. <laughs> I loved to read quips from Arthur Schopenhauer and from... Uh, St. Paul, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was my absolute favorite. Ah, he, he hit the women upside the head. Here's what he says in Ecclesiastes 7.25. Ah, I applied mine heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things and to know the wickedness of folly even of foolishness and madness, and I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands as bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. 
I don't know whether we've recovered from all of that. Elizabeth Cady Stanton, the great 19th century feminist, uh, rewrote the Bible for women. Uh, it hasn't become very popular. I tried to read my uh, Ten Commandments for Women. You know, they were supposed to set the uh, original on its head. And uh, the only response I got were from people who only heard the rhythms. <laughs> I kept the rhythms, you know. And they were very angry that I was using uh, the Bible on the air. Isn't that funny? I just, uh, I guess, unlearning, unlearning is the hardest, hardest thing. Uh, what was it? We had a program here called Unlearning to Not Speak. <laughs> Turn it on its head. My next phase when I wrote fiction and poetry and that kind of thing and even read some of it here on KPFA and published it here and there, I came up with the uh, the notion of eros and thanatos, that is, you know, the light and the dark, the love and death, that kind of thing. And I thought to myself, sure, what else is there? What else is there? There's... Sex and death, that's what the poets use to, <laughs> to, to inform, to wake us up. Oh, golly, I'm afraid I'm becoming, what is it, one of those elderly bores who has to, has to remind herself to get off the stage and let the kids, let the kids do their thing. Uh, never mind, Dorothy Parker, uh, Dear old Dorothy, she was uh, she was my 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 mother's favorite. Uh, she wrote, "Yes, in youth it was a way I had to try to change to suit the fancies of each passing lad. But now I know the things I know and do the things I do. And if you do not like me so, to hell, my love, with you." <laughs> I'm afraid. I'm afraid Mother was a little, a little uh, embittered. That was the rule in those days, uh, not, not to be bitter. Uh, they would always say to you, that is, men, they would say, mustn't be bitter, mustn't be bitter, Jennifer. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see, here is... Dear Dorothy Parker, uh, uh, she wrote, And though to good I never come, Inseparable my nose and thumb. <laughs> There's a biography written in 1987 that I used to use even in classrooms. Uh, the title is, What Fresh Hell Is This? I found it inspiring, and I put together five hours of programs on women and humor for KPFA Pacifica Public Radio here. Uh, once again, I had feedback saying, Don't you know that feminists have no sense of humor? <laughs> Juna Barnes always said uh, that uh, a humorous woman, you know, <laughs> was lost. Any woman with a sense of humor is a lost woman, she said. Of course, humor is not funny. Humor is rebellion. 
Mm, the waters of wit flow from the well of sorrow. And Malay said, Weepers are the sea's brides. I mean this the drowning way. Dorothy Parker took another bite of the apple, and she looked life and love in the eye. The sweeter the apple, the blacker the core. I, I tried to imagine what kind of wisecrack Dorothy Parker would make uh, if I called her a foremother. Unprintable. <laughs> I thought of that watching uh, Laura Linney last night in a program. It's called John Adams, and it's uh, uh, the sort of thing they put on television for President's Day. It's all about Abigail Adams, the woman who said to her husband, remember the ladies. Indeed, indeed. Her husband said, oh, oh no, not another tribe. Uh, I don't know if we're a tribe. That's a fascinating program. It's still on the uh, uh, on-demand list. John Adams. Paul Giannotti. Terrific actor. Uh, brought me to the point of tears thinking about what's happening now in our White House, in the seat of our government, what has happened to our ideals. Uh, John Kennedy used to say, think not uh, what we are. Try to feel what we may be, what we may come to be. Uh, in other words, follow the ideal uh, it's a wonderful scene in that series where uh, John Adams comes to talk to a painter who has drawn that huge uh, picture mural, I guess, of all the forefathers signing the <laughs> Declaration. And he explains that history is utter fiction. I wish today's history were fiction. Uh, anyway, dear old Dorothy back in the early 20th century uh, <laughs> I, I think I think she belongs up there with W.C. Fields most of the time uh, her wit was wasted the best of it because it was too obscene for publication in her day women did not publish obscenities I remember saying oh to be the female Henry Miller no 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 uh, for me Dorothy Parker was Mother Wit. Ah, uh, my mother and her friends knew those poems by heart. Dorothy Parker was the feminine mystique of the jazz age. Self-destructive, self-doubting, self-centered. She was a woman who did not cook, nor clean, nor cater to the needs of others. She lived in a hotel, she said, because all she needed was a room to lay a hat and a few friends. Dorothy's problem, of course, was that she could not give up the romantic mythology that she grew up with. Uh, she was born in 1893. My gosh, my gosh. She was born in the... 19th century time is certainly passing. <laughs> there is a good movie by Robert Altman called Mrs. Parker and the Round Table, directed by Alan Rudolph. Uh, 
it gives us a rather overdressed picture of the 1920s and of those New Yorkers, you know, who went to lunch at the Algonquin Round Table. The gang was all there. Only a couple women. Uh, there was uh, the usual suspects when it came to the men, Alexander Woolcott, Robert Benchley. Uh, anyway, the royalty of Hollywood played the roles in the movie. Uh, four of them are Yale graduates. You can find the daughter of Arthur Miller, uh, the daughter of... Uh, Keith Carradine, the daughter of Blythe Denner, the son of John Cassavetes, and the son of Jason Robards, and the son of William Sean. Yes, Wally Sean. Uh, Parker is played by Jennifer Jason Lee. Is this elitism, classism in Hollywood? <laughs> oh, more isms. We'll think of some more. We'll think of some more when we when we come to the next turn, the next historical hinge. Uh, I always thought that when uh, feminism was uh, a fait accompli, whether that would be the last revolution. But I'll think about that tomorrow. Uh, I'd like to make a movie about Dorothy my title would be Girls Who Wear Glasses. You remember her quip. Men never make passes at girls who wear glasses. Oh, yes. Actually, I would prefer to make a film of her play, Ladies of the Corridor. It was produced on Broadway in 1953, closed after six weeks. In the biography by Marion Mead, uh, we read, uh, even though the New York Times critic thought everyone uh, knew old women led pathetic lives without having to go to the theater for a reminder, uh, still five of the eight New York reviewers admired this play. It especially impressed George G. Nathan. He voted it the best American play of the season in the drama Critics Circle Balloting. He thought it was, quote, completely honest. Oh, dear me. Imagine, imagine. <laughs> women, women are not yet honest. Uh, they're working on it. They're working on it. Uh, the latest movement, you know, and the women in their black dresses at the Golden Globes, right? I guess it's, it's honesty of a kind. Uh, the biographer... Uh, states here that uh, Parker came to think of Ladies of the Corridor as a feminist play because it warned women to stop sitting around and saying it's a man's world. <laughs> the biographer writes uh, about the play. Although the wasted lives of her characters disturbed her, she was inclined to believe that their illness was rooted not so much in age as in manlessness. Hmm. They should have been better trained, adjusted to live a life without a man. Now, uh, that's all very well, but Dorothy was unable to uh, adapt, to adjust to living a life without love. Uh, 
I don't really think that that's a sensible goal. <laughs> the author goes on to describe Dorothy Parker's fears of becoming a crone. All of Dorothy's problems are still with us. Alcoholism, suicidal behavior, seeking solace from younger men, and so on and so on. Uh, uh, I remember doing scenes from that play in college, and it helped me to understand my mother's mythos, that middle-aged despair that caused some women to give up food for booze, (laughs) booze and cigarettes. Right. Last week I started to read one of my favorite uh, poems by Malay, called Only Until This Cigarette Is Ended. Yes, I will permit my memory to recall. The vision of you, by all my dreams attended. I wish I had time uh, to read you all this stuff. When it came down to it, Dorothy Parker was just as anguished as Edna Millay. She talks about her expectation, her, uh, her image of her own death. She wrote, Oh, let it be a night of lyric rain and singing breezes when my bell is tolled. I have so loved the rain that I would hold last in my ears its friendly, dim refrain. Of course, uh, she was buried on a (laughs) sunny day. Uh, Ah, Lillian Hellman. left her ashes at the NAACP. Dorothy had left what little money she had to the NAACP. (laughs) Yes, Lillian Hellman says she must have been drunk when she did it. The point was, of course, 